So, what we're going to do today is keep working on those words, Vekone Hako. So, yes, I know. They come out so quickly that you wouldn't think. Mm-hmm. But, but I think partly because it's a new concept that we haven't covered in depth in any other context, so all the more so... Um, I want to spend more time on this. So where we got to, I believe, previously was um, that the kind of traditional translation of kone is acquires or owns, mm-hmm. but that that is clearly not a very usable translation. Because when we see how the word kinyon is used or kone is used throughout the Torah, it doesn't, isn't it? It doesn't fit. So, as uh, not just an example, but as an example, we saw. I have it over here. We saw the Mishnah right at the end of Avos, at the end of Parak Vav. Hamisha kinyanim kanalo hakadosh baruch hu be'alamo. Hashem was koneh. <laughs> Five kinyanim. I don't even like to translate it because it doesn't make any sense if you use the English words that we're accustomed to using yeah. for kinyan and kone. They don't fit at all. And by using them, what we do is miss out what the word really means. And they are Torah, Shemayim Va'aretz, Avraham, Yisrael, and the Beis HaMikdash. So it's clear that whatever we thought kinyan meant, it, we probably had missed a big part of it. And we discovered that Kenyan was not so much about acquiring in the way we would think, which the way we hear acquire, we turn it into the English idea of acquire or acquisition, which is paying for something with money in order to have mastery over it. But that's not what Kenyan means. Kenyan, one thing we saw was that Kenyan describes the bonding of the identity of an object with the kone. Right? That was one, one aspect of Kenyan was that there's a bonding of identity, that something goes from one rishus to another. Now, the word rishus can mean like control or permission, right? Like the one who has the rights to give permission to use it. But rishus really means like the zone, the area. And in fact, generally speaking, a Kenyan is affected by moving something from the rishus, from the physical space of one person into the physical space of another person. Because by putting, and the Rambam mentions, I'm sort of jumping the gun here, but the Rambam in talking about the different halachas of Kenyan says, I already tore it out of there, right? A person's daladamos, a person's personal space, it's like his chatzer, it's like his courtyard. Meaning just the same way that if something's on your property, it belongs to you, so something can come into your personal space and belong to you. So it's, when we say that something goes from one space to another, what it means is it's going from being connected to one person to being connected to a different person. There's some kind of identity shift that's happening here that's not about money and not about control per se that is implied by Kenyan. So the word acquisition or acquire or purchase that we would use in English has different connotations than the word Kenyan does in Hebrew. Um, classically, and I think that we, we saw the Rashi that happens to say this, um, Rashi says, where did I put that? Rashi, 
Rashi says, Ambracious Yudalid, Kone Shemaim Varetz, where Malki Tzedek, also known as Shame, says, Hashem is Kale Oyon, Kone Shemaim Varetz. He says, Rashi describes, what does it mean, Kone Shemaim Varetz? Kamo Ose Shemaim Varetz. It means the same thing as who made the heaven and earth. Hmm. And this comes up in many different places. Okay, there's an, I found an example of the Me'iri on Tehillim Kuf Lamitesud Gimel. Ki ato konisa chiliosai tisukeni vivetanimi. The person said, David says to Hashem, you, konisa, you were kone, right? You were kone in my kidneys and sheltered me in my mother's stomach before I was born. Now, God didn't go out and buy him a pair of kidneys, right? And David certainly didn't think that. You were kone, my kidney. Okay, so the kleios, the kidneys, just like the heart will refer to emotions, so the kidneys tend to refer to um, emotion or reaction informing a person, uh, informing a person's actions. Mm-hmm. So the kidneys, let's say, will be described as advisors to the person. Okay, They're not what makes the final decision, perhaps, but they advise it. A gut feeling, what we would call in English a gut feeling, would probably be attributed to the kidneys in Torah. Okay, and that, I mean, biologically, you certainly can see why, because you get a release of adrenaline, that's going to come from your kidneys, right over your kidneys, right? That doesn't come really so much from your stomach. So what we would call a gut instinct is more related to the kidneys, both in fact and in Torah. That's kind of that. Okay. And the Me'iri explains, what does that pasuk mean? Kiata konisa chiliosai. Konisa chidashta. You made them new. You created them into a new creation. Ki himtseisa masha'eno. You, you invented, you invented, himtseisa, that's what you would say in modern languages, invented, but himtseisa, you made exist what had not existed. Yikare kinyon. That's called kinyon. The ear says, making something exist that didn't exist before is called being kona'it. Okay, and that's very similar to that Rashi, where Rashi says, yeah, kona shaman arts means ose shaman arts by making, again, like this kind of, um, Rav Hirsch also, Rav Hirsch also builds on this idea as a, one of the principal definitions or aspects of Kinyon is ownership as a result of building. And I loved finding this because I, is something that I've wondered about. <laughs> I never spent so much time looking at enough to understand it, even though a year ago we did talk about Cain and Hava. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Chava has a child. Mm-hmm. She conceived and she gave birth to Cain. And she said, Again, it's one of these things where you try and turn that into English with the word acquired. What does that mean? It means nothing. Right? I... Konisa, I was Kone, uh, a person with God. But if we understand that Kinyon is the building or creating of something that wasn't there before, then Konisi Iza Shashem at least makes some more sense. This is kind of the first child, right? The first baby being born. Oh my goodness, look! I made a child with God. That's amazing. There was no kid there, and now there is. Konisi Hashem makes sense if you understand the word kone. So Rav Hirsch, in explaining what is going on with this name, Konisi Hashem, he says, 
The original conception of ownership, this idea of kinyon and kone, rests on production. Man's primary capital is his strength. So kone in its first meaning is not acquisition by money, but by strength or power or energy. When you put yourself into something, and in that way it's there, that's, that's really what Kenyon means. It has come by extension to include that which, you know, if you think about when you learn in, you know, sixth grade or something, they teach you that originally, I don't know if this is historically true per se, but anyway, this is what they teach, right? That, um, that people originally were like subsistence, whether it was farmers or hunters or gather, whatever it was, right? Everybody collects for themselves. And then as people started to collect in cities, you started to be able to have a situation where people could specialize. So one person might do only, you know, raising a wheat crop and somebody else might be a shepherd and somebody else might make pottery and then they start bartering with each other. So instead of each person having to do a lot of different things, each person focuses on one particular job or specialty and then shares that or swaps it with other people and their specialties, right? Okay, and from there they teach you that um, sometimes people don't want to have the thing that you have to offer. So maybe you want to get a lamb chop, but the other person doesn't want pottery. Okay, so they came up with money. This is the way they teach it, right? I actually myself have learned that it was Yaakov who came up with money and coinage and that that was when he came to Shechem. But anyway, this is the concept of sort of early prehistoric economics, right? That they, then you have money and the purpose that money serves and the benefit that it serves is it allows you to make those barters even indirectly. So that if, if you want to have lamb chops and I've got sheep and I want to have a gold necklace, then what I can do is you can give me money. I'll give you the lamb chops. I'll take the money over to the jeweler and I'll get the gold necklace instead of just getting pottery from you and then having to find someone who's willing to take the pottery off my hands. So the money serves as this sort of um, intermediate way of bartering where the money can take the form of any value or any product that someone's willing to exchange it for. Okay, so why did I come around to all this? This is the concept of the extension of kinyan into money. Whereas we look at the word kinyan and we've been somehow trained to think that that means buying something with money. What Rav Hirsch is saying is that's not what kinyan means. Kinyan means that which you have and which exists and came into existence because you put effort into it. That, over time, became associated as well with swapping things for money that you would put effort into and that sort of thing. Oh, here comes Mrs. Khan. Hooray. Okay. Good morning. Hello. Good morning, Betty. Oh, we're so happy you made it. Thank you. Were you in Alaska? We were. How could you go to Alaska when it's so cold? It was pretty cold, <laughs> but the houses were warm. They didn't live in igloos. We didn't live in any igloos. <laughs> but I'm so happy. We did see a house you shaped like an igloo. No. <laughs> Just you and the children. Yes. Oh, and Robert. Yes. Oh, I took that as a plural. You was <laughs> okay. But it was nice. It was really beautiful. Really, oh. and our we had such a good time with our relative. It was really nice. Okay. So, 
Now, here's how the, how the new definition, or really the old definition of Kona plays out. Chava says, I have acquired, let's say, Ish, a child, through the expenditure of my strength. I mean, that's the most literal one, right? Having children is the most <laughs> literal use of a person's actual energy to build something else that wasn't there mm-hmm. before. I mean, it's actually the purest case of the idea of Kenyan. Um, a kane, the word kane is like a stalk, like a reed. He says, because the stalk is what produces the blossom in the seed box. In other words, that's the channel of energy that leads to the productive outcome. Kane is that ex- the putting out of energy in order to build something. So this is the first use in the Torah of it. It may be. I didn't look. It probably is. It probably is. Probably it is. Okay. Um, there are a few. He, he's obviously making some other points as well. He also points out that in this splitting of mankind to Cain and Hevel, where Cain took up the work of obtaining food by working the ground. And Hevel took up the animal husbandry side. Hmm. He says, Cain's occupation was more self-understood. Agriculture calls primarily for the expenditure of all of one's bodily strength and energies. is specially and literally carried out in an agricultural laborer. You put your energy in, you get your food out. Actual food out and actual energy in, which I, I think, I mean, I didn't think about this before, but I think it makes it striking. That's the outcome. In other words, Chava is going to have to put a lot more work and effort into having children, and Adam's going to have to put a lot more work. That's a result in Ganeden of bringing out the food. It's really both cases. You put in energy, you get out the product. With Chava, it's a person. <laughs> And with Adam, it's the means to sustain the person. I'm sure there's something more there, but I don't know what it is. I just essentially the price went up. <laughs> price went. <laughs> yeah, it sound, that's it, what it right? sounds like, yeah. right? That you have to put a lot more effort in, right? Okay. So, the agriculturist becomes absorbed in his profession of gaining a scanty subsistence for his bodily requirements, and what we found of pride of possession and pride of one's own accomplishments in the conception of Cain, Kane is most predominantly to the fore in the occupation of agriculture. The soil fertilized with his own sweat is something precious to him. It contains part of himself. It chains him, and he becomes earthbound. So that, you know, what we would call in, in the technology world sweat equity, Rav Hirsch is saying there's literally such a thing as sweat equity. When you invest your energy, you have invested yourself, mm-hmm. and you become bonded and bound to that which you have put all that energy into. On the other hand, that can be a problem when the person is now bound to ground, to soil, to earth, because it's easy to get caught in that effort and trapped by it. You're so bound to it, and it is only providing more or less what you need, that it's very difficult then to ever disentangle or become involved with something else. Okay. He says, the worker on the land can easily come to worship the forces of nature on whose influence the success of the fields he serves seems dependent. 
And so it was the agricultural peoples who were the first to lose the pure consciousness of God and humanity. And there, slavery and polytheism were first begotten. Not sure exactly where he's bringing all this from, but it's an interesting concept that that feeling of being bound to earth itself can cause somebody to, to shift easily into worshiping the forces that appear um, to influence the results of the output. Now, I mention this because we saw the idea that Kenyon has to do with the, with the bond, the binding of the Kona to the Kenyon. And it's just interesting to see how he has now played that out. I don't know whether it's learned out from here or learned into here, but either way, how that idea of Kenyon, it's the investment of the sweat, of the effort of the self, and in doing so, creating a very tight bond and connection and identity, a sense of identity between them. And it seems like you're saying it's like both ways, right? It's yeah. Like it, the, the that land, bond you know, exerts its own demand you know, back in some uh, way. It, it generates its own identity back, even though it's passive. It's the receiving end. Mm -hmm. And it was what is created. Okay. So that was a little bit of a jump ahead, actually, although we did indicate, we did point to these things before last week. Okay. Um, we said classically, Kenyon is via creation of, and Rav Leff in his book on Shimona Esri said there, in, in looking to that Mishnah in Avos, he describes them as five manifestations of God's Kenyan of the world. That these five things, where were they? Torah, Avraham, Yisrael, Beis Hamikdash. I missed one. Um, Torah, Shemaim Va'aretz, Avraham, Yisrael, and the Beis Hamikdash. Each of those five things has, is different from everything else in creation in that it is a manifestation of God's Kenyan of the world. It makes it has a special role in making Hashem's presence and creation of the world tangible. And he places his name upon each of these. That's the bond of identity. God's name is associated with each of these things because they proclaim his name, so to speak. They are a manifestation of God's creation ownership of the world. Okay. All right. Bless you. All right. Um, okay, so we... I want to read you Rav Hirsch. Remember, I quoted you the Me'iri on Hashem, you have been Kona, my kidneys. Here's how Rav Hirsch describes that in Tehillim. I cannot escape thee because thy relationship with me is not merely superficial, determined by spatial distance, it is profound and intimate and has held and encompassed my life from its very beginning. That the creating of me is your, is cre has created a profound, intimate, controlling relationship that fully encompasses me because I was fully encompassed by you from the beginning. Okay. So now I want to look at another example of this. This is a pasuk that I believe I, you know, I did a lot of work on Ha'azini last year. So it may be that I'm not remembering correctly. I think that we actually saw this pasuk. 
So the Pasuk reads, I don't have the whole Pasuk on this page. It's untied. Okay. This is from Devarim Lamed Bey's Pasuk Vav, which is, as we know now, Devarim Lamed Bey's by definition is Hazinu, because that's what it is. All right, the Pasuk is, Hala Hashem Tigmeluzos. We did talk about this. <clears throat> it has the big hey. Okay, Hala Hashem Tigmeluzos. Is this what you will do for Hashem? Am Novel Velo Chacham, a nation that is foolish and not wise? Halohu Avicha Konecha. Is he not your father, Konecha, your Kone? So Rav Hirsch translates it here as, who calls thee his own? Who asacha, he made you? You okay? Would you like a drink? I got a drink of water. See the cup? It's yes, see-through. I can see it. Thank you. Okay. Who He made you, vichonanecha, and established you. All right. Got false flags from when we did this in the parsha. Okay. All right. So this is again like these. Each of these cases gives us a little more insight into the Kenyan. And I hope we'll get to a, a grander picture of it. If he, all what Hashem has done for and to Israel, the special guidance of their fate, as well as the teachings and prescriptions of his Torah, was done for the one purpose, to strew the seeds of light and life in the minds and feelings of the people, that these seeds were to come up into fruit of knowledge and deeds in individual and national life. You see how he's being consistent with the use of the word kone as the putting in of energy, right? And then through that, the development happens or the seeds develop, all right? It's also partly because there is the use here as well in the verse of tigmiluzos. We talked about this a couple weeks ago with gomel chasadim tovim, that gamila can be ripening. It can mean to ripen. So it means helping something achieve uh, the, the fullest, I forget what the word was, the potential. fullest development or potential that it's able to achieve. That was gemilus chasadim. So the Pasuk here is saying, hala Hashem tigmeluzos, is this the, like the ripening, is this what you're going to be able to develop into? It, with astonishment. I mean, this is not a flattering comment, right? You're, are you really like so foolish and unwise? That this is, God is putting all this energy into you and you turn it into something completely different than what it could have become? Or perhaps so much smaller than what it could have become? Okay. If he calls you his own and arranges all your existence and wishes, disposes of all your internal and external forces and means in his Torah. Just like there's a comma there, right? Hashem calls you his own. He takes care of your existence. He takes care of what you desire and need. If he wants then to use all of the energy within you for the sake of Torah, 
right? That the Torah says you should plow in this way and contribute money in that way and spend your time in this way and eat in that way. Has he not the right to do so? He put it in. He can direct where he wishes it to go. And should not the imperturbable consciousness be ever in your mind that with all these demands and prohibitions, he only wants what is best for you? And on top of that, it's not just that he has the right to say, no, this is my, this is my work, so I'll do with it what I please, and you have no resentment. You should have no resentment about that. That should be obvious to you. But aside from that, he says, it should always be present in your mind that it's only because he wants what is best for you, which is rather astonishing. So how much more so then, how foolish are we? If we think, oh, it's not fair. Why do I have to? It's so demanding. It's like, wait a minute. He put all this into you. He made you live. He gave you the energy. He's telling you how to use it. And it's anyway all for you. So what is there to, there is, you know, when that idea is in the forefront of our minds, which would do us good to aim for imperturbable consciousness of that, <laughs> yeah, then we would be absolutely in, I would say, alert peace with whatever our situation is. Alert because it's not the peace of like lying back and doing nothing. It's the opposite. It's an energetic being at peace with whatever the situation is and what I'm meant to do. Is it not your father who ordains all this for you? This is the avicha konecha. He's your father, he's your kone. So it's got both things going. Are you not historically a nation quite specially begotten by him? This is hinting to the Israel as one of the five kinyonim, right? You are a specially begotten nation. Your whole existence as a nation is exclusively his work. Without him, you would not be there. It's, very often, Rav Hirsch seems to be drawing on Maharal, and we'll bring the Maharal on this, and you'll, you'll see that that seems like a very likely, likely um, source for what he said here. In the midst of nations forming themselves, he alone laid the foundations from the first, most unlikely, most individual beginning and brought you up to be a nation. Most unlikely, most individual, presumably, is Abraham. <clears throat> that what others are as human beings, you are at the same time as a nation, God's creation. That's almost word for word out of the Mahara. He has exclusive right to you, and this, your whole origin, guarantees that what he, your father, demands from you, his own begotten child. You see how he took what, what Chava said? The, the Kenyan as being wholly born of the self, right? She says, Konisi Isha Sashem. Here, he describes the Jewish people as God's own begotten child, is only for your own well-being. Okay. Um, so, we get Kenyon is built through strength, power, energy, and built of self, and therefore felt as an extension of self. When you create something and you have put your work into making it, you really exerted yourself to make it be, and it did not exist previously, then it is felt as an extension of yourself. There is a bond, an emotional bond, and there is a bond of identity. I think, I, I'm just going to suggest this is very not far out. There's a word, the word for nest in Hebrew is kan or kane, depending on 
the grammar, right? Which is the bird builds this space in which to gestate the eggs. I mean, it's really, <laughs> that's like, right? Like the bird's womb, it's like this external womb, which it builds itself. This is not every animal actually built, what beavers build dams. Like how many animals actually build a home? Wasps build nests, there's not tons of them, right? So it builds this space and it's an extension of itself, right? Everyone knows if you touch a nest, then maybe the bird won't come back, okay. And I just want to point back where Rav Lef described the five kinyonim as manifestations of Hashem's creation of the world. If you think about it, that's what kinyon is. It's the physical manifestation of the energy that went into producing or... Good morning! Of producing or creating the offspring or the product. That is what the kinyan is, right? When something is a kinyan, it itself is the physical manifestation of the energy that went into it. In the same way that a, a newborn baby is a physical manifestation of all the energy that was drawn from the mother's body to build it. Where did all those cells come from? Where did all the energy come from? Where did all the nutrients come from? They were drawn right out of her. So it, baby itself becomes this physical manifestation. Okay. Now I'm going to give a little piece here from um, Kone Shomayim Va'aretz, which is the bit with Malki Tzedek and Avram. Kone looks on property from its moral side. So he's saying when it comes to the question of how do we understand the word kinyan with regard to property, Kone looks on property from its moral side. Kona is the legal concept of property, not the idea of possession resulting from force, but of legal right as the basis of property. Kenyan Kona is describing the aspect of property that has to do with having some sort of right to it. Some sort of, um, right, like, I'm, but I built it. I created it. It's made out of me. There's, there's an aspect to which it already belongs to me. This, it's moral. The Kona of an object is the owner even if the object is not at the moment in his possession, which is an interesting distinction, right? Because you can have a chazaka where something is held by somebody and you might presume it's his, but the Kenya and the actual, the fact that someone is kona something, even if you take it away from him and put it somewhere else, it's still his. He has a moral ownership of it, even after it's stolen, let's say. Mommy, gesundheit. Wherever the object may be, it is, it appertains solely to him. It awaits him. This is Rav Hirsch on gracious Yudalid, Yutes. I think Yutes. Something like that, yeah. Okay, so where he, where, where Malki Tzedek says, Hashem is Kone Shemaim Va'aretz. That's why property is called Mikne. Okay, what's mikneh is usually cattle, cattle property, okay? So it's called mikneh because the ownership relationship, that moral right, is so lively that the property itself recognizes its owner, right? Does not the ox recognize its owner, right? When, when the property itself recognizes its owner, it's mikneh. It's like uh, it's acquired, it's owned. It, yeah, it knows its way home. It knows, it knows who made it. 
It knows who has the right to it because it feels that it belongs to it. It's, a, it's that feeling back is a, amplified in the word mikneh. The owner is not visible. Okay, so when Malkitzedek describes Hashem as kel elyon, kone shamayim va'aretz, he says there's no purer conception of the relationship to Hashem than that. The owner is not visible, but there's no speck of dust that does not recognize its master. That's what kone shamayim va'aretz really means then. When you take all of this and you look at all these different places where the word kone is used, and you get down and you dig into what is kinyan, and then you see Malkitzedek say, Hashem is Kel Elyon, he is God on high, not visible down low, maybe, right? Not directly. But he's Kone Shamayim Va'aretz, that every speck of dust in heaven and earth recognizes its owner. Everything follows God and carries out his will. Consciously and unconsciously, everything is stamped with the pull of this belonging, so that with all the energies and forces of its existence, it follows and obeys God's will, which sounds to me like an orachayim. All right. Now, what, is, what does Avraham add to this? Because in the end, our bracha says, Elokei Avraham, Elokei Yitzchak, Ve'elokei Yaakov, Hakel Hagadol Hagibor Ve'hanor Hakel Elyon. So how come it's not Elokei Shame? I mean... We're bringing in this Kel Elyon Kone Hakol, which is the Kone Shemaim Ba'aret, but it's only about Avraham. So there's something special that happened with Avraham. Which I don't think we've mentioned before either. But I could be wrong. It's all starting to run a little. Okay. So Malkitzedek says, Malkitzedek is Kohen Lekel Elyon, Vayevarachehu, and he blessed Avram, Vayomar, and he said, Baruch Avram Lekel Elyon, Kone Shamayim Va'aretz. Blessed is Avram to God on high, Kone Shamayim Va'aretz. Uvaruch Kel Elyon, and blessed is Hashem on high, Asher Migain Sarecha Beyadecha, who has handed over your foes into your hand. Vayitain lo Maiser Mikol. We're going to get back to this. And Avram gave him. Meiser, a tithe of everything, which we've been sort of holding off on the side, right? Saying that, what's the connection? There must be some, why is that the reaction? What could we get out of that? Vayomer Melech Sodom, okay, and then the king of Sodom says to Avraham, give me the people, you keep the stuff. And Avram says to the king of Sodom, Harimosi Yodi El Hashem, I raise my hand to Hashem, Yud Hey, and Vavin Hey. Harimosi is also in Truma, which is like Miser, right? Tithing. Harimosi yodi el Hashem keel elyon kone shamayim va'aretz. So he takes that phrase from Malki Tzedek, and now he uses it. But he also changed it. He added the name of God in front of keel elyon kone shamayim va'aretz, which was already a name of God. So what did he do? It's amazing, right? It's the same, and yet it's not. Because before saying he says Hashem, the name of Hashem. In other words, which we pronounce as Adon Shali, right? God is my master. That Hashem is the creator of everything. That he creates with love. In other words, the characteristic name of God which places 
the Kelel Yom Kone Shemaim Va'aretz in a special relationship to mankind. Because when it's just Kelel Yom Kone Shemaim Va'aretz, you can't, you cannot learn from that directly that therefore mankind has any special relationship with God. But Avraham in saying, Hashem Now what we have here in our Shemona Esrei is building off what Avraham said, much more than it builds off what Malkitzedek said. Baruch ato Hashem, Elokeinu ve'elokei avoseinu, Elokei Avraham. It's God relating to the individual human being. Elokei Avraham, Elokei Yitzchak, Ve'elokei Yaakov, Hakel, Hagadol, Hagibor, Vehanora, Kel, Elyon, Gomel, Chasadim, Tovim, Vekone, Yakol. What we say in Shona Esrei is building off of what Avram said. It's not really building off what Malki Tzedek said, except to the extent that Avram's building off Malki Tzedek. The God of Abraham was not only the God of nature, but above all, the God of history, <coughs> of human, humanity, and humanity's development. He is the four-letter God, Hashem, creator of the future, whose greatest work lies in the future. This is like <laughs> maybe getting a little bit outside of our bounds here, okay? So the four-letter name of Hashem, which can be combined in many different ways, but when describing the name of God directly, starts with a yud, which puts it in the future tense. Hashem is the God of history, of the development of history, not history looking backward, History developing, in other words, a developing, progressing relationship with humanity. So that for the incredible greatness that we cannot conceive of Haggadah, of God who, who created the universe, and who's Gibor, and who's the Melech, and who gave the Torah at Har Sinai, there is even a greater product of this whole creation process that is yet to come. And therefore, it's in the future. This name Avraham puts first. The God whom your Kohen mentioned is a God in whose service, conscious, un, consciously or unconsciously, you and I, all of us stand. He's the God who sends me. It's that direct relationship with people. That which the whole universe pays homage to God perforce, meaning without any specific free will, Man is to give of his own free will. That's Hashem Kel Elyon Kone Shamayim Ba'aretz. With one's practical life. And so Avraham not only declared it, but he enacted it within that very same, right, where he says, I'm not going to take any money. I won't have people saying that you made me rich. They'll know that God made me rich. He's enacting out, practically speaking, exactly what he's saying. And that's important because that's the role of man. Hashem is building a special relationship with us, and our job is to practically implement and practically provide back. Okay. So, Rav Hirsch on Pirkeiavos, then, when he is explaining what does it mean Hashem has five kinyonim in the world, he says each one of these performs a special service to advance the purposes of his creation and his sovereignty. Now, here's where I wanted to do something a little different. Um, you can tell me how we do with it. I, I printed out this maharal. It's a very long maharal. 
I started also putting in here these sources. You could basically, I don't know why the numbering went from 1 to 13. Oh, the numbering went in the order I put them in. <laughs> Even though I changed the sources. That's really funny. And I numbered it after I put the sources in. Okay, anyway. But hopefully the words are in order. <laughs> All right. Now, this, it's very long, okay? So this Maharal, this is just the title of it, which is numbered number two, directly after number 15. Okay? And then it goes for, like, five pages, okay? It's very long. But it is so... It, it seems to me such fundamental lessons and important, important ideas to try and integrate into our hearts and into our actions, that it's worth seeing it inside. I think this is like the, the richness of this concept of the words vekone hakol, that if we can take that out, it, if we can read this inside, we may have to do it over, we're not going to do it all in one time, especially starting this late, but I think it will help us to do what Rev Lef gave a very, very difficult Kavana task to Vikone Hakol. I mean, that, I wouldn't say that that was typical, but it almost was like it is demanded of us that we should think about the five manifestations of God's Kenyan in the world. When we say the word Vikone Hakol, that's a lot. I mean, that's a lot to do. I'm like, you know, I still want to remember what the words fundamentally mean, okay? And I felt like, uh, I felt like reading this Maharal was helpful to doing that. Okay. Chamisha kinyonim v'chule. So the, the Mishnah is at the top with the five kinyonim that Hashem has been kona in his world with the sources. And we may skip some bits of the Maharal because in some places he spends a lot of time and it's fascinating, fascinating thing. Like really worth reading it all. Um, explaining why this Pasuk is brought as a source and not another Pasuk in the Mishnah. It's really amazing stuff. But I'm not sure we have to go into all of that here to get what we want to get from it now. Chamisha kinyonim. Yesh minyon olamali. Why do they need to be counted? Ve'od, hare kol hadvarim heim kinyono shel hakadosh baruch And furthermore, everything in the world is God's kinyon, isn't it? Kedichtiv, as it says in Tehillim, lahashem ha'aretz umlo'ah. To Hashem is the earth and everything in it. In other words, why are you selecting out five things and saying they're Hashem's Kenyan? Isn't everything Hashem's Kenyan? The Od Shehevi Raya Lashamayim Vaaretz Dichtiv Hashamayim Kisi Vaaretz Hadom Ragli. Why is the proof that is brought in the Mishnah to say that Shamayim and Aretz are a Kenyan, the Pasuk that Hashamayim Kisi, the heavens are my throne? The Ha'aretz Hadam Ragli and the earth is my footrest. The Yoser Hayalo Lahavi Raya Midirtiv Kone Shamayim Va'aretz. Why? The Mishnah should have brought the Pasuk that we just saw in Bracious with Malkitele, Kone Shamayim Va'aretz. Hashem is Kone Shamayim Va'aretz. I mean, that would prove that Shamayim and Aretz is a Kenyan of Hashem, wouldn't it? So why bring Hashemayim Kisi Va'aretz Hadam Ragli? The Yoser Kasha, even more difficult, Shehevi Raya, that it brings this proof. It brings this proof with Avraham about Avraham, Kenyon Echad, that he's a Kenyon. <laughs> the, 
the when it when it, the Mishnah is bringing a pasuk to prove that Avraham is a Kenyan. The pasuk that it brings is Vayavar Chehu, that Malkitzedek blessed him. Vayomar, and he said, Baruch Avram lekelel yon konei shamayim va'aretz. But how does that prove that Avram is the Kenyan? That pasuk said that the shamayim and the aretz were the Kenyan. So first of all, how come it's not used as the source for shamayim and aretz? And also, how come it is used for Avram? And these are all questions that may have even crossed your mind when we first saw the Mishnah. Right? The ode, and furthermore, Why does the Mishnah not count Shamayim on its own and Aretz on its own? And it counts, it references heaven and earth, which at least apparently are two things, and calls them Kinyon Echad. Right? He doesn't say that, but that's what he's asking. And in the Pasuk, Ksiv, it is written, meaning in the Pasuk that is brought as the source in the Mishnah for this, it's written, So the Pasuk that he uses as the source seems to mention Shamaim Va'aretz separately, and yet the Mishnah nonetheless comes and tells us Shamaim Va'aretz is Kinyon Echad. So what is that about? It's also difficult. Everything on earth is God's kinyan. It belongs to God. And in fact, some versions of this Mishnah also add, in addition to the Pasuk of the heavens are my throne and the Earth is my footrest. They also bring the second Pasuk as a source. How wondrous or how great are your works, Hashem. You made them all with wisdom. The earth is filled with your possessions. Kasher Yoser, but it's even more difficult. If you're going to use Marabu Masech Hashem, Kulam Bechach Masisa, Malaha Aretz, Kinyanecha, all that proves to you is that the Aretz is the Kinyan. It doesn't prove to you that the Shemaim is the Kinyan. The Odiashli show, and further we could ask, Achar Shehevi Raya Mimadihtiv, Adyavor Amcha Hashem, Adyavor Amzukaniso, after it has brought as a proof that the Jewish people are a Kenyan, from that which is written in Parsha's Beshalach, we just saw it in Azyashir, Adyavor Amcha Hashem, until your nation God has passed through the sea, Adyavor Amzukaniso, until there has passed through this nation which you have been Kone. That pasuk, it says straight out, the nation that you have acquired, or whatever, right? Benkone. Maybe Odkra, but then it brings another pasuk. I looked this up. For, it, for the holy ones, or not the holy ones, the powerful ones in the land and the mighty ones, all my desire is with them. And that pasuk doesn't mention anything about Kenyan. So how is that anything to do as a proof that the Jewish people are Kenyan? There's another question because there is brought a proof from the pasuk, Mikdash Hashem, the Mikdash, the sanctuary of God, your hands have formed it. That's a proof the base of Mikdash is a Kenyan, and yet it doesn't have anything about the word Kenyan over there. The Ode to Bezos HaBrisa, furthermore, in this Brisa, in this statement, Choshev, it calculates, hey Kenyanim, five Kenyanim, 
ואילו במסכת פסחים לא חשב רק דלת קניינים ולא חשב אברהם כלל. And in Masechus Pesachim, you have a very, very, very similar statement, a, a statement of the Tanoim. But over there, it counts four Kinyanim, not five Kinyanim. It's the same set, minus Avram. Okay. Yesh l'chaladas. You should know. It's always a good sign. If you start with that, you're going to get, well, it means you're going to get something very fundamental. Okay, here's what you need to know. Ki ha-Kinyan ne'emar al-Kamadvarim the word kinyon is being used to describe several things which are kinyon le'echad, which are a kinyon for any one owner. So the word kinyon can be used very casually. But to be absolutely called a kinyon, which obviously in a pasuk is going to be precise, right? To be really called a kinyon, who ka'asher nikne legamri el bal kinyon. You only call something a kinyon if it is completely nikne. <laughs> I, I, it's impossible. Like, I feel like, can I just stick with the Hebrew? Or do this? Because I know that the, the grammar gets involved because nikne then is subjective, what's the word? Like it's acted upon, but okay, it is acquired completely by the Baal Kenyon, by the one doing the Kenyon. Ad she'i efshar nikne lo yoser. To the maximum, so that it can't be more nikne than that. It is fully nikne, then it's called a Kenyan. Vezeshe nikne lo if something is only acquired, nikne, Bemiktas partially, kamoha eved like a slave. Asher nikna larabo lemaise yodov. It's true the master acquires the product of his hands. He, he acquires his work. Velo nikna lo kinyan gamor, but he doesn't have complete ownership of this person. kinyan. We don't call that a kinyan. That's not truly a kinyan in the true sense of the word. Vechein kol kinyan sheyomar. Anything that you're calling a kinyan because it was niknet bitsadma in some any sort of aspect in some way only ain't that kinyan gamor. That's not really niknet. That's not really a kinyan. It's not a complete kinyan. If you have a slave, what you have purchased is the rights to this person's work. It's very interesting. Because obviously you don't own him. <laughs> but the production of his work is what he would have owned. Yeah, so it, you're getting what he would have owned. Whatever, Kone, Kone Evid, Kone Rabo, right? Like whatever he acquires, his master acquired it. Right. And we've talked about, you know, the effort and the work you put in. There, there's an aspect of Kenyan there, but he says you can't call that Kenyan. Mm-hmm. It's not called Kenyan. You don't own everything about And in seven years, he's going to walk away. That's not Kenyan. Kenyan is, abs- is as much as is possible. If something is completely nikna, then you have a Kenyan. Rakshia, Kenyan has Zebechotzad. It's in some specific side. Vizenikra love shame Kenyan, and so people call it Kenyan. Vilochen kashar Kenyan betsadma. It has to be Gamor, otherwise, that's not Kenyan. Kimala sa Kenyan. The distinction. Mala means like the level. Here, it's, what it means is in what way it stands out and is different from other things. 
Malas hakinyan, the quality of the kinyan. The thing is called a kinyan because it is in the rishus of the kone completely. So that none of it in any aspect is outside the rishus of the kone. Only then can an object or person be called a kinyan. That's very interesting insight. If it will come out from the rishos of the kone, in any way, that it is not a kinyon. The thing itself has not been nikne. Therefore, we have said it is not appropriate to call a, a slave who is enslaved only to the in terms of the production of his hands only, a kinyan for a person, because he's not completely under his control. And this absolutely must be so. Meaning logic demands that what I say be true. That a kinyan, which is a complete kinyan, the thing which is the kinyan, the the object of it, must be meyuchad, exclusive to the kone. If there's anything of it that is not exclusive to the kone, then the kone does not have a full kinyan of this object. Because it is only then that it is possible to say that he is under the control, the permission of the kone completely, without being able to leave outside the, the scope of the kone at all. What if, now, now there's a second point to this, okay, which is, what if the owner buys two of something for the same basic purpose? Like a master who owns two slaves. One serves him Sundays, Tuesdays, and Thursdays, and the other one Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Right? On the other day. One of them serves him partially on one day, the other one serves partially another day. Okay? Or maybe in shifts, right? One works from 8 to 2, and one works from 2 to 8. Oh, or he's got one servant who goes with him and helps him in business, and another one who serves him in the needs of the house, takes care of the house. You could not say that the, the kinyan, the object of the kinyan, is really fully a kinyan for the owner, for the master. Fully in the rishos of the kone. Because he is not fully for the master. Because when the second servant is working, the first one's not needed. So if there's any aspect, it's so interesting. It's not just does he have control or does someone else have some rights over him. Either he or anyone else have any rights over him. That would take him out of being exclusively dedicated to the service of the owner. But more than that, even if the work is shared, now when I'm working, so great, I'm dedicated, but when I'm not working, someone else is doing the job. That makes me not exclusively dedicated to that purpose, to to the master. 
You could not call either one of these the name. You couldn't label them Kinyan. Because he's not absolutely completely taken. So he has actually brought two different aspects of the exclusivity. One is that he's exclusively for the Kone, and he has to be uniquely for the Kone, which are not identical. It's exclusive and unique. And that is what this Mishnah is talking about when it says that God has five kinyonim. The rotze lomar, it means to say, Nothing can be called, like casually, a kinyon for God. It has to be nikna elav legamri, completely nikna to him. Mibliyitzia, without going out, the hasara or swerving from him at all. Rakhula gamri birshuso. It is only in his rishus velotimza rak hamisha. You can and the the Mishnah is telling us there are only five things in the world. Shekol echad veechad meyuchad legamri beinyano, which each of them is unique and exclusive completely within its range. In its inyan, in its area, aval shar devarim, but all other things, edam ruuyim shikru sheyikru kinyano shalakadish baruchu. Other things, it would not be suitable to call them kinyan to God. Vezeki afshe kol advarim heim el hakadish baruchu, as the pasuk says, asher lo hayam vehu asovi abeshes yadav yatsaru. Even though everything in the world belongs to God, as it says in Tehillim, that the seas belong to Him, He made them, and the dry land, His hands formed them. So the Yam and the Yabasha are also belonging to God. And there's a Pasuk in Haggai that where God says, to me is all silver, to me is all gold, so says God. They both belong to God. Nonetheless, we can't say that any one of these has is absolutely called Kinyon to Hashem. As I have said, as I just explained, in each of these cases, two things are being listed. The sea and the dry land. Silver and gold. Remember he said, if there's two who are serving this job, that's not called Kinyon, not properly called Kinyon. Now, you still should have in your mind a question, but he already told us that we're going to address this, which is what's with Shemaim and Arts. Which means that in these pairs, any one of them is not unique and exclusive to God. And when they are two things, if it's not only one to Hashem, then we wouldn't call that a Kinyan, which is something completely only for God. The, the seas and the dry land, that's two things. And to the extent that one of them is serving God, the other one isn't. Okay, to the extent that one of them is serving whatever the purpose is, uh, hosting people on it. So then, as long as you're on the land, the land is doing that and the sea isn't. If you're standing on a boat, the sea is doing it, the land isn't. Whatever purpose it is, one is doing it or the other. They encroach on one another's territory. Okay, 
This is what he's explaining what he previously explained. You cannot say, as you might wish to, that maybe the two of them are joined together and then called a Kenyan to Hashem. They're two things. They're not one thing. That you could say this. Because of the nature of Kenyan. He's saying this is the nature of the concept of Kenyan. So on either one, neither one of these could you apply the name Kenyan. Similarly, silver and gold. They are two things. The Amr al Shnehem, and it said about both of them, mine is the silver, mine is the gold. They're his. <coughs> they're just not <coughs> excuse me, they're just not called Kenyan. Um, when God is using silver to perform whatever it is he wants to do for someone, make somebody rich, they'll find a silver streak in their, in their uh, gravel pit or whatever they're you know, digging for. So then it's not gold that Hashem is sending. And when Hashem is using gold for a purpose, then he's not using the silver for the purpose. They are two things. Each one a thing unto itself. Um, Meshamesh davar miyuchad. Each one doing its own special uh, service. The ain echad bershus hakone legamre. But neither one of them is completely in service of God. Ad shelo mimenu. To the extent that we could say there is no swerving from it. I just want to see where we are on the handout. Okay. Oh, thank you. Because it's a different breakout. Okay. I'm going to go to the end of this paragraph, and then I hope it's okay with you if I continue it next time as well inside. You know, we don't usually do it this way, but the, even the fact that he's reiterating, I find is helpful to like digging it in a little deeper because there are very clear uh, applications to us personally. So, and therefore, Chamisha Kinyonim, El HaKadosh Baruch Five kinyanim there are for God, she'ein lahem shituf imahem, all of which stand alone. They have no, a shituf is a partner. Nothing shares with them. Ve'hem miyuchadim legamri, they are unique and exclusive, completely kol echad ve'echad, each and every one of them. Ve'ein davar imahem be'inyan shalahem she'hem miyuchadim, and nothing at all stands with them within the area in which they are unique and exclusive in their service. And because they are unique and exclusive, they are completely to the Kone, which is HaKadosh Baruch Hu, with no swerving, no, no exiting, no pauses at all, from the owner, the Kone, as we have said. So I will stop here, and continue next week, um, where he starts to explain how this plays out then, in the different, in these, each of these five things. In what way then are they unique and special? Okay, thank you. Thank you. So. I really like going back to you know, the I mean, <laughs> The child is not exclusively dedicated to the mother, so therefore you don't have, you know, go, you know Complete. Yeah, so I'll tell you. Yeah, no, no, it's very insightful what you're saying. Um, did I put away the gracious? So, Rapersh, actually, I, I didn't go there just because 
it was a tangent, and what we're doing now is, is not really a tangent to Kone Hakol. I mean, it's kind of fundamental to understanding the words, but it certainly is broadening out what we're talking about so far that I wanted to try and resist um, going further. But here, okay. He's, Rav Hirsch's approach, and I don't know what this, where exactly. Okay. So here, so, okay. God is Kone Shemayim Va'aretz. Kane in its first meaning is not acquisition by money, but by strength, power, energy. Man's primary capital is his strength. God is owner of heaven and earth because he created them. So too, Kana, first of all, she said, Kanisi ish es Hashem, with God. So, but then you have the question, so how is it? Okay. So too, kane is the stalk or stipe which produced the blossom and seed box. So to here, with God, i.e. with God's assistance and cooperation, I have acquired a male human being by the expenditure of my strength. So the first enthusiasm of the first mother was a raised feeling of importance. And the question can arise in our minds whether this feeling does not already show some clouding of the purest conception of motherhood. A mother, standing on the pure height of consciousness of duty, would have thought more of God and of the new duties and tasks which come with this gift of God, rather than proudly of her own merit. So I think you hit on something that he's not a clouding of the point of view and a disclosure of egotism and vanity, which very easily might have affected the tendency of the character of the son, on whose very name she imprinted the stamp of this self-esteem kind of scary. Yeah, actually. <laughs> For Kayan is derived from Kone, property. As, the, yeah, in the ecstasy of her joy, the mother called him Kayan, what she herself had achieved, acquired by herself. When the second son was born, the world already stared at the parents full of worries in which a child can be an additional burden. Eve's heart was heavy when she called her second son Hevel, transitoriness. And he said, refers us to a Gemaran Sanhedrin. So, yeah, I think I think the way that Rav Hirsch, at least, and maybe it's based on that Gemara and Sanhedrin, I don't know, the way he seems to read her calling him Kayan is not entirely, it's revealing something not entirely perfect there. Just a good reason why nobody tells the children. I knew one. I knew one. The story supposedly went that the parents uh, were not obviously religious or particularly educated, came to a shear and asked somebody at the shear, they were expecting a baby, they were so excited, where would they find ideas of, nice Jew- of Jewish names for their child? And they were advised to look in the Bible and choose a nice name. And I was in school with this kid, his name was Cain. <laughs> he probably turned out to be a nice kid. But was always a little bit like, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> Did he have a brother? Did he have a brother? Yeah. No. <laughs> For how long? Did he have a brother? <laughs> okay, so that's where we're up to. And, uh, yeah. Something different. <laughs> <laughs>